0: hear the word of God to you. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is my wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister and his household, because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Ascends the reading of God's holy and inert word, me. Blessed to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. You know, man didn't write that. So I don't know about you, but if I was making something up, I wouldn't be uh, sharing that part of the story. Can I get an amen? As right. so I was thinking about ways of bringing this message home, um, all I could think of when I looked at the first part of the text is the idea of a place to call home. And think about it, how the human heart longs for a place to call home, to call our own. You remember that old song? I mean, it's definitely, you know, even older than me, kids. Um, Mid pleasures and palaces, though we may roam, that part you might not know, but this one you do, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. I was certainly feeling some of that for a while. But of course, joined to the hip to this deep human desire for a place to call home is a people to belong to. You know, this is, think about it, I was thinking about it, this is what draws teenagers to gangs. Because they feel like they can belong, right? This is what draws unstable, hurting, uh, uh, lonely people to dangerous cults. Because people will warmly welcome, you're one of us. They want to belong. Well, here in Genesis 12, this is exactly what God promises Abram. He promises to bless Abram with what? With a new land and with people to fill it. I stole that from a preacher I was listening to when I was walking down the street in, in uh, Italy. Uh, Andrew Sack, he's from England. But here's something I, that really hit me, Right? If you look at the context, it's extremely important to note that the people in Genesis 11, Pete preached on this a few weeks back, they wickedly tried to do what? They tried to make a name for themselves. Remember that in the Tower of Babel? They tried to do it in an ungodly, self-serving way. They tried to unite themselves together in God's world, and yet in a way where they rebelled against God's word. Okay, they wanted to be in God's world, but they didn't want to submit to God's word. They wanted glory for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And they literally disobeyed God's clear command. Remember God said scatter and fill the whole earth? And they said, we ain't doing it. We're going to get together. We're going to unite. And in many ways against God. And you know, our gracious God, uh, he would have none of that. So he mixed up their languages. And that's why I had to work for years and years to learn how to speak Italian just so I could communicate with my own blood relatives. Because the human race, as a human race, we wanted to glorify ourselves rather than the God who loved us and made us and blessed us with this beautiful earth that we have not done a great job in taking good care of in His name. But the wonderful thing about this text here, um, all of Genesis, is get me so souped up uh, just meditating on it, is that none of this stops our promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God from moving his kingdom program forward. It doesn't stop him. And so he promised that he would send a redeemer born of a woman. You remember way back in Genesis 3.15 that was going to crush the head of the serpent and and he's going to keep his word and it really hit me. I almost wondered if I should say this or not, but it's true, so I'm going to say it. He's going to keep his promise even if it kills him because it literally did on the cross. And here, even way back here in the first book of the Bible, the beginnings, we see God starts all over again with a man named Abram. Now, I keep getting mixed up because he's, he's Abram for a while until God decides to change his name, if you remember. Abram means exalted father, and Abraham means father of many. And that will come into play a little later. And what's really cool about this is why you've got to pay attention when you read the Bible. Just observe. You don't have to be a scholar. Just pay attention to what it's saying. Whereas the people of the earth at that time desired to make their name great and to make a name for themselves by their own works, for their own glory, now God promises to do that for Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to do it for my glory. An interesting new beginning. And you may or may not know this. I would would suspect most of you do know this. Abraham looms large in both the Old and the New Testaments. He's a huge figure. His story makes up the next 14 chapters of Genesis, and his children make up the rest of the book, and literally, I was thinking about it, the whole Pentateuch. First five books of Moses are all about Abraham's descendants, physical descendants, leading up to the spiritual descendant, the one born from the Israelites, Jesus the Christ. And something I I just, I had to look this up. I'm not a big figure statistic guy, but I just had to look it up anyway because I thought it would be interesting. Abraham is mentioned by name in 26 books of the Bible. Did you know that? He's second only to Moses, not counting Jesus, of course, second only to Moses, who's named in 31 books of the Bible. And there's good reason for this. Yes, we had Abel, if you remember, if you've been with us, tracking with us a little bit in Genesis. You had Abel, who uh, was righteous by faith, offered a better sacrifice, right? A blood sacrifice. You had Seth, who replaced Abel when Cain murderously killed him. Then you had, um, after Seth, you had Enoch. Remember, he walked with God, and he was no more. Because God just basically said, I can't take it no more, you're coming with me. I'm not even waiting for you to die. Some awesome stuff. We had, and then of course we had, don't forget, Noah, who was another new beginning, right? After the flood, after people had become so wicked, God had to start over again. But He had Noah and His family. And we see this. But here, this is where we really start getting into some, where, where God really begins to open up the covenant of grace to us. It's in the person of Abraham or Abram. It's here where we find the clear outworking of God's promise to send a a chosen son, a a savior, to redeem a people back for himself, as he promised. And it's with Abraham, this is really cool, that God covenants not only to give him a place and a people to inhabit that place, we talked about that a little earlier, but specifically, now this is where the mind gets blown, not just to bless his descendants, listen, we just read it, but to bless who? The whole world. And unfortunately, historically, sometimes folks have forgotten that. We begin, God began with the Jews, and they had that special place, but it was never to stay there. It was to be through the Jews, and specifically through the Messiah, to bless the rest of us, Gentiles. Most of us probably here in this room this morning. So as we look at chapter 12 of Genesis, as you can see, there's so much to talk about. Um, We'll see how far we get this morning. This is what we're going to see. This is the main point for the next two sermons. And we're going to break it into two, as mentioned earlier. By grace alone, God calls Abram to leave everything for a new country. And by faith alone, Abraham, or Abram, obeyed and went. It's that simple. By grace, God calls. By faith, Abraham obeys. I can almost say, let's pray, but I'm not going to, you know that. (laughs) All right. So this is what, and we're going to really focus on the first one today because as much as I can't wait to jump into the second one, I was like, I, I literally wrote this sermon five times. And by the fifth try, I finally threw my thick mind, I'm, I guess God wants me to really talk about the first point first. Because I just wanted to jump over it because Abraham is such a model of faith. And I wanted to learn what was so special about his faith. What was so, such a model that we are to follow in the New Testament tells us to do that. But God said, I think you need to focus on the really important thing, the real hero of the story, and it's not Abraham. It's God, and it's his grace that calls unworthy sinners like you and me to belong to his family through faith in the promised seed so that Abraham really is our father. It's good stuff. but All right, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. By grace alone, God calls Abraham to leave everything for a new country. And as we see, it's going to be very interesting as we read his little trip into Egypt. Oh, boy. All right. So, first thing we're going to see, so I did do some sub points to make it a little easier for us to understand. First thing we're going to see is that God manifests his grace in Abram's call. To begin the walk of faith. So God's grace, in other words, is manifested at the very beginning of Abram's call. All right, And then we're going to see how he continues to manifest his grace during uh, his continuance of his faith, his walk of faith. Now, the call to Abram, as my dear preaching mentor from England, who's now around thir- 95 years old or so. Um, and he's still with us, which is pretty cool. But um, he, used to, he puts it this way. God's call to Abraham is a rescue mission. And it's important to see that because the first thing you've got to notice in the text is that the Lord speaks to Abraham or Abram. That is to say, listen, the initiative is his. He does the call. And Abraham wasn't looking for God, he wasn't searching for God. You have God going out as a shepherd and looking for his lost sheep. In particular, a very important lost sheep in the story of his overarching story of the history of redemption. Look at verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, that's the word of God, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now we're going to see next time especially that Abraham does respond to the word of God with faith. But what I want you to see this morning is it's a response to God's gracious initiative. God's the one who starts the whole thing going. Now think about it this way. Um, This is really cool when you think about it this way, contextually. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned and spoiled everything? Maybe you remember. God's word came to them through the curse upon the serpent. And I'll just remind you of that word. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's response to sin was what? Grace. You need to see that. Promise. Evil is not going to win in my world. It ain't happening. What happened when the world became so wicked, so corrupt in God's sight, and so full of violence that God had had enough? And, and they had, he was going to start afresh. Well, we know what happens. God's word comes. And it comes to a man named Noah who found grace warning him of the flood that God was going to send in his just wrath, telling him to build an ark so him and he and his family will be saved and the human race can have a fresh start. Notice the pattern. Sin, God's word of his grace. Sin, God's word, promising grace, sending deliverance. And now in chapter 12 of Genesis, we have another new beginning. We need to see that. Man rebels. He puts the promise of, that God made of sending a son to redeem his people for himself at risk, and so God starts over again, as I mentioned, with one man as he did with Seth, as he did with Noah now in his sovereign grace he begins again with a man named Abram. Lovely comment from commentator Derek Kidner, he points this out, the history of redemption like that of creation begins with God speaking isn't that cool? It all starts with God said and I don't know if you know your New Testament well at all But that's how salvation begins for individuals as well, if you notice that. Um, The Apostle Paul puts it this way, just to summarize for us. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. So before this is a story of Abram, the man of faith, it's supremely the story of God and his amazing grace. And it's seen really clear when we discover, discover where Abram was when God first called him. Now, you can look in this chapter and we don't really know where Abram was before in terms of his spiritual state. And I'll tell you what, you could read the whole book of Genesis and still never find out you know, what his spiritual state was. So I would hear different uh, preachers mention that he was an idolater. He's this, and I'm like, where did they get this from? Well, I found out where. If we turn to Joshua, chapter 24, yeah, I didn't think it would be there. But Joshua 24, 2-3, to this is what we read. Joshua said to all the people, he was reciting this for his fellow Israelites, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. You never saw that before, did you, some of us? But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. So in case you never noticed it before, Abram and his family were idolaters before God found them. God called him out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And he did this by his free, unmerited grace and by his unearned, undeserved, favor alone, cannot get a witness. And I don't know about you, my brother and my sister in Christ, isn't that where you were and God found you? An idolater, putting everything else in this world before him, serving other gods, and maybe they weren't statues, maybe they weren't, didn't have names, but maybe it was materialism, maybe it was sexual immorality, maybe it was power, Maybe it was popularity like liked to be liked and that's your, the God you bowed down to. Maybe for some of us it was just pleasure. That's where I was when God found me. And as I read this, I know that there's hope for me. And it's fitting for us to think that the father of all believers, because I want you to see this in Romans chapter 4, Paul points out that Abraham is the father of us all, both Jew and Gentile, if we are believing. And the father of all believers, it's interesting to see, is, is what? A sinner saved by the amazing grace of God. An idolater turned into a worshiper of the one true God of heaven and earth. In other words, he's someone who was lost and now is found. He could sing amazing grace. And I think it's important to see how he did it. How did he do it? He did it through the power of his word. The gospel preached ahead of time to Abraham. Now some of you say, whoa, 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 pastor. I know you want to get there. But how how are you finding in this text the gospel preached ahead to Abraham? I know it might sound a little far-fetched, but I actually unabashedly stole this. From a guy named the Apostle Paul. Found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. He says this, the scripture foresaw That God would justify the Gentiles by faith, now listen, and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. And here it is, all nations will be blessed through you. That's what the Old Testament scripture says. Paul's just repeating it. Now we know that that specific word of God spoken to Abraham was actually the gospel promise. It was the promise that not just people from his physical descendants, but all nations who have faith in Christ, the seed of Abraham, would belong to Abraham. You know, I remember when I first heard this, I was a young believer, and it literally made my mind do the whole poof. You know, God promises in this text, and in other texts throughout Genesis actually, he says, I will make your descendants more than the stars in the sky. I'll make them more numerous than the sand, the the grains of sand on the shore. And if you could count them, that's how you'd be able to count your descendants. And the mind blowing thing is, I always, sometimes I would wonder, especially when I was younger, when is God going to come and just clean house in this place? This place is so wicked, the things we do against him, the things we do against one another, what's he waiting on? And then one day this was pointed out to me He promised more stars. The descendants of Abraham would be more than the stars in the sky. And and that's why the waves are still rolling, brothers and sisters. That's why the time hasn't come yet, because God is going to make sure his very last elect is saved before that time comes. And Jesus says, it's time. And I know I'm encouraged that he's not coming yet, because I know there are family, there are friends, there are neighbors that don't know Jesus yet. and, And I don't want to see them judged. I want more time. I want them to have time to repent, and I hope it will happen soon. So and it's an incredible thing when you think about it. Now, we'll get into more specifics of that particular aspect because it's all throughout the next 14 chapters, and I don't want to preach it all in the first sermon. But for now, I just want to focus on something, that faith comes through the hearing of the word of Christ. And notice God's word, and this is so important in our Christian lives, literally. Notice that God's word is all about what God promises to do. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, throughout the Bible we have to respond to God's promises. We need to have faith. God calls us to do all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, what really sets us free is our salvation is not dependent on what we do, it's dependent on God's promise. And the veracity of his promise. Notice, someone pointed this out to me, um, again, because I'm not a big statistics guy, but notice God says five times in the space of verses one to three, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's all about what God's going to do. I don't know about you, but that's freeing. It's this very promise given to Abraham that God's people will constantly remind God of when when God has had just about enough of his people's sin just about enough of their unfaithfulness and he gets angry and he starts to show his just wrath throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament you will notice God's people and I think of when Moses did this too will remind him of what he promised because they know they deserve punishment and Second Kings 13.23 just give you one example out of many um, just so we see this. This was during the time of Elisha's death. And this is what we read in 2 Kings 13, 23. Listen, it's important. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Why? Because God always keeps his promises and God cannot lie and I always love that it's not that he doesn't lie it's that it's impossible for him to do so it's not in him he's not a man like you and me he's not sinful he's holy 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 and and for me this was a big takeaway we worship a God who keeps his promises. We live in a world of broken promises. We live in a world that even some of our best friends and closest relatives will fail us. I didn't say they may, I said they will. If you live long enough, they will. But our God, He's never going to fail us. And that means we should worship Him with reverence and in awe. He's not a guy to say, Yeah, the guy upstairs, I hate that. Who in the world are you talking about? Not the God of heaven and earth. Not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not the guy upstairs. He's the Lord God Almighty who made the heavens and the earth. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the God of all grace. And we've got to remember that his promise to individual Christians, we all know this one by heart, Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you, shall carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, that's based on this corporate promise to Abraham and to his seed. I don't want you to miss that. To bless many people from all nations through the primary seed of Abraham, that's Jesus Christ. Now, a few weeks ago, I saw that you sang that song that um, Jamie, Dave, and I all love, which is rare that all three of us love one song, but we do. It's, uh, I don't even know the name of it, but the, the line, you always do what you say you're gonna do and I don't mind singing that sometimes people complain you're singing the same line over and over you don't understand the meaning of that. that God always does what he says he's gonna do in a world that's so mixed up and so unsure we can be sure that our God is gonna do what he says he's gonna do and that's freeing my brothers and sisters And that means that when he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, that means he's going to forgive you. Mm -hmm. He's a forgiving God. He's a God that doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's a God that saved us when we were yet dead in our sins. How much more is he going to save us now as Christians who struggle with this stinking flesh that's constantly trying to pull us away from God and this world that keeps saying, come back home, we'll receive you. And the devil who constantly tries to trick us to say that this world's uh, uh, rewards are better than the great rewards that God promises those who trust in his son. So by grace alone, God calls Abraham. He was an undeserving sinner just like you and me. And you know, I I need to say this. This isn't just evangelicalism. We like to ghettoize ourselves. It's not even just Calvinism or even unique to Paul. some people. Well, that's Pauline, uh, uh, Paul's theology. No, my brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. The fact that we're saved by grace alone is Christianity. I don't care what color, stripe, denomination. That's, if you don't believe that, you've got to go back to the Bible. You've got to go back to the truth. Because listen, this, this was a big mind blower for me too. It's always been God's modus operandi. In other words, his mode of operation. Since the fall, listen, this is powerful. Since the fall, if anyone expects, any sinful person expects to have a relationship with a holy God, it's only going to be by God's grace. Because that's the only way it can happen. If he condescends and he forgives and he shows mercy and he can't blink the eye at sin, he can't take it lightly. And so I love, later on, Abraham, we're going to know the story. I'm just going to mention it in passing. But remember, God tests Abraham and says, I want you to your only son, Isaac. I want you to offer him up to me. And he gets it all ready. He gets the sticks on, his, on Isaac's back, and they're walking to the sacrifice. And Isaac goes, but, but dad, daddy, where's the sacrifice? You remember what Abraham says? The Lord will provide, son. And Abraham believed God so much, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, that he believed God could even raise the dead, so he was going to do what God said he was going to kill his son. And the angel says, stop! Now I know you fear God. And then he looked over in the thicket, and what did he see? A ram. God provided the sacrifice. Now can a ram's blood literally cover our sins? No, that was all pointing ahead to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John Newton, we're going to sing his song later, one of his many hymns, he wrote Amazing Grace. He was a former slave trader. And, um, he was responding to someone's question. He became a pastor. You know, it's really weird how God takes the worst of us so many times. It says, I'm going to make you a pastor. It's really funny, uh, but that's what he does. He says, "You're so messed up. I'm gonna make you a pastor. That'll show how that'll show how awesome my grace is." Because man, that, that's incredible. But so people would um, write and ask him questions because he became a really um, powerful preacher and a good, faithful shepherd. And someone wrote to him asking a question about election. You know, God's uh, sovereign choice of saving people and perseverance. How God um, keeps his people so that we can't ever truly fall away, but that God um, saves us. And this is what he wrote, and it's so powerful. He wrote, We had no help in time past, nor can we have any in time to come but from him alone. If any persons have contributed a might to their own salvation, it was more than we could do. If any were obedient and faithful to the first calls and impressions of his spirit, it was not in our case. If anyone were prepared to receive him beforehand, we know that we were in a state of alienation from him. We needed sovereign, irresistible grace to save us, or we would have been lost forever. But no, now the best line. The healthy may give the doctor a good word, but only the sick know how to prize him. Are you prizing Jesus today? Do you realize how sick you are without him? How lost and without hope in the world. Because it's only those who really understand how loving God really is and how good and gracious. The thing about Abraham, he wasn't a down and outer. Our church, we focus a lot on down and outers, like many of us are or were. He was an up and outer, he was wealthy. He had tons of stuff. So when God called him to move, man, that was like a production. It was a caravan. But you know what? This is what I wanted to remind you of this morning. He was bankrupt spiritually. And I think it's important for us, especially as our focus is in Atlantic City and a lot of times the lower income neighborhoods, those who are up and outers need Jesus just as much. And they're certainly not less sinful (laughs) In many cases, the Bible says those who are wealthy it how hard it is for them to enter the kingdom. A lot of times their greed has a grip that's hard to break. And so I think we need to remember that everybody needs Jesus. And we don't, see, that's what we try to share with people because some people only go to the rich, unsaved people. Oh, I'm called to the powerful and the rich. I bet you are. But for those of us who know the poor often get neglected, sometimes we get a little self-righteous and we got to remember everyone needs Jesus. This isn't only true at the beginning of our walk of faith, but it's also true as we continue. I'm just going to spend a couple more minutes, and I'm going to have a second point, not as long as the first one, so you can relax. But I want you to see, here we have Abraham, the man of faith, the believer par excellence, demonstrating something for us that we really don't want to demonstrate normally for people, and that is how deeply flawed he was, even as a Christian. You know, sometimes... Um, we're hard to live with, brothers and sisters. And people in the world look at us. And sometimes we act like we're better, but we're not better. We've just had mercy shown to us. Now, God is making us better. It's a very slow and painful process, isn't it? Those of us who have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time know, oh my goodness, I'm like a snail. If that, you know? So what we're going to see here, and this is the last thing I want to point out, God manifests his grace and Abraham's, or Abram's continued walk of faith. Now listen, if there's anything the whole incident of Abraham going down to Egypt shows us, is that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat or idealize its heroes. It gives us an honest and sometimes painfully honest view of them, warts and all. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. Because if everybody was Superman and Green Lantern, I would be like, well, then I guess there's no hope for me. No, Abram had some serious character flaws. Not like little minor problems, by the way. He had some serious flaws that God had to deal with him about. Now, let me just summarize real fast. Passing your wife off as your sister, out of fear, right? And putting her purity at risk, as well as the promised seed coming from her womb at risk, because she could have been defiled by Pharaoh, that's no little sin. You know, what we like to say about people, he has some issues. Well, Abraham definitely had some issues. And as I mentioned earlier, I got it, thank you, thank you very much. Um, this is one of the many, many evidences of the inspiration of Scripture. Because if man made this stuff up, he would have skipped this incident. Right? Like if I'm writing a biography of my life, I'm probably going to not write about the part when the Lord was bringing me to himself that I was so afraid to close my eyes at night I slept as 19 years old in my mom and dad's bed. You know what I'm saying? Because that's not glamorous, that's not cool, that's not exalting me. I'm probably going to leave that out. And if I ever do write a biography, you probably won't find that in there. But notice the Bible gives us the true picture. This is what happened. Now it doesn't mean it's a model for us to follow. It just means this is what actually happened, and God wanted us to see that Abraham was a sinful, ordinary, flawed person like you and like me. And I think one of the reasons he showed it to us, excuse me, is um, the way that Dick Lucas puts it is this way. He says, I love the honesty of the Bible. It doesn't beatify its heroes, but nor does it debunk them. What you get from the Bible is neither the one nor the other. We get a true picture, I think, a convincing picture, listen, of vulnerable people who nevertheless by faith in the end were victorious. But there were hiccups, both with Noah and with Abraham. Yet in his incredible mercy and grace, look what happens. Um, God disciplines Pharaoh for taking Sarai. Did you notice that in this text? And he shows favor to Abraham by giving Sarah back along back to Abraham along with all these goods and gifts. And so what's the takeaway from that? What's the message we should get from that? Well, let me tell you what the message isn't. It's not let us sin that grace may abound. It's not what we're learning here. Thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. Hey, Abraham did it. Let me try it. That's one of these, let's not try this at home. Okay? If you, if anyone would even think like that, that just shows they have totally m- not understood yet the grace of God. Because the grace of God, as Paul will say and others will say, Jesus will say, never leads to licentiousness. It leads to a grateful heart of service and godliness. But we'll see. Even in Abraham's life, yes, he had these hiccups, he had these serious flaws, but ultimately. Abraham was a man of faith, and his life showed it. In a changed life, we'll see that in years, uh, in in the, week, in the weeks, years, the uh, weeks to come, maybe years. The way I'm going, right? All right. So look, there's. Let me give you an illustration, in case you, I thought this would be good to understand. So it's like trapeze artists in the old days. You know, they would fly, man in the flying trapeze. They'd have these great nets because as much as they had faith, they knew they could make some human errors sometimes and fall. So the net is like grace. So if we fall, it catches us, and no harm is done to us, right? So imagine the Christian life like you being on a trapeze. Now, what would you say if you see a person just laying in the net all the time? They never get up. They're just laying back all the time. After a certain point, I would say, I don't even think you're a trapeze artist. You with me? It's the same thing with the Christian walk. Yes, we fall, we land on the net maybe tons of times but what's the difference between a true believer and someone who's not? We're always going to get picked back up and we're going to get back on that trapeze. That's the difference. So there's this catechism that my buddy Joe Beck wrote. He was kind of kidding. He he said that whenever I write this for church for some reason they don't want to say it as their uh, uh, confession of sins. So I'm going to read it to you. It's a little catechism. This, this is the way it goes. Leader. What do you all do? People. We do bad things. Leader. Well, what you going to do? People. We're going to try to stop. Leader. How are you going to do it? People. By the grace of God. Leader. And what if you don't? People. God's grace forgives all. Leader. Does that mean you don't try? By no means, fam. Leader. Leader. Good talk. People, people, good talk. That's New City way, isn't it? That's New City, I'm telling you. A couple more things and I will close, but I, I want to say this. I think it's important. C.S. Lewis, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, my buddy Eustace, who was one rotten brat until Assland totally changed him from the inside out. And this is a wonderful editorial comment by C.S. Lewis that I'm not going to speak for you, but man, is this me. C.S. Lewis writes this about Eustace. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. Well, to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of these I shall not notice. The cure had begun. That's God's verdict on Abraham. And I'll tell you why. When we look at Hebrews 11, it's all about his faith, right? By faith Abraham did this. By faith Abraham did that. Do we read any commentary about this lapse that he had in Egypt? Not a word. One more quote from Dick Lucas. I'm almost done, but you've got to hear this. He says, when I look at the divine assessment of these men, meaning like Abraham and Noah, I notice that there is no debunking of them. We live in a day when most biographies and television shows are debunking. Every effort is made to show that the person is, is not worthy of thinking about. Very interesting to me is that when I come to the New Testament, I don't find God as a great debunker. He could have told us in Hebrews 11, by the inspiration of the Spirit, of all the mistakes that Abraham made, and that Sarah made too. If you read the story in Genesis, you'll find that Abraham made many mistakes, and Sarah, I'm afraid, also was often at fault. But what is remembered in the New Testament is not the mistakes, not the sins, and not the doubts, but the faith and the great things that they did through God. Here's the thing. How can a holy, righteous God, when he writes Abraham's epitaph, when he writes our epitaph, how could he write, by faith they accomplish mighty things and leave out all the bad stuff? Because of Jesus. Because through the blood of the Lamb, he has chosen to take our sins as far as the east is to the west. And so that day when we're afraid, because I'm afraid, that God's going to open up the book and say, take a look, Saint," And I'm going to go, oh. And I'm going to peek up. And I'm going to see righteous. Holy. And I'm going to look around like, no, we got the wrong book. What, <laughs> what happened here? And he's going to say, no, that's, that's the right book. Because you were trusting in my son. And I gave you his record. And he got yours, by the way. And that's why his hands will always have the marks. His feet will always have the marks. The side will always have the mark. And never let us forget how much he loves us. All right. You think I'm far-fetched about this? I want to say one thing about Abraham here. You remember in John 8, Abraham, um, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had the, the crazy idea they were going to debate with him, the Old Testament scriptures. That, that, I would have loved to sit there with a, with a Coke, and, if they had Coke back then, and some popcorn, and watch this. But this is what Jesus said. This is really an earth-shattering statement. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. As I close, brothers and sisters, Abraham saw it from a far distance and was glad and believed the promise of God. We see it looking back clear as crystal. We have the birth of Jesus. We just celebrate his Christmas, this whole, his birth. We have his death. We have his resurrection. We have his ascension and his promise to come back. And so the question is, Will you trust him? Even when it doesn't seem to make sense, like Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He's 75 years old. And by the time God got around to giving him a child, he was 90. And Sarah's womb was not exactly a spring chicken. But he still trusted God. The question for you and me is, will we? Because if we do, then guess what? We belong to a people. We belong to the family of God made up of Jew and Gentile that have faith in Christ. And guess what that means? I I'm, I'm really am I'm going to close with this. We are familia. I'm in Italy. I, you, knew, you, knew what, you knew I had to tell you this story. I had to figure one thing about Italy. And I figured before I close, I had to tell you. I'm in Italy. I'm checking into a B&B to get a break from my, my lovely relatives who I love with all my heart. But it was nice to have my own bathroom. So I'm in a B&B. And I tell the gentleman my name in Italian, Santo Goroflo, And he goes, oh, facula which means easy. And I just said, never in my entire life in America has anyone ever said, my name is easy. <laughs> I'm just saying. When you talk, whenever anybody try, meets me for the first time, it gets butchered. Right? I mean, and even now, we talk about Santos, right? But my last name, people don't even usually try. I go to Italy, he goes, oh, that's an easy name. I got to tell you, I felt like I found my people. <laughs> but in reality... It honestly made me think, no, God bless them. They're not my people. You are. Because we're connected by blood, but it ain't the blood in the veins. It's the blood of a lamb without blemish or defect. And uh, you have a home if you know Jesus. You have familia. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Father Abraham. You promised A great people to come out of him and you promised a great land which we'll look at next time an eternal land that our eyes are fixed on a land that will never perish or fade or pass pass away but in the meantime Lord as people of faith may we show our faith by the way we trust you and put our faith into action by doing good to all around us by worshiping you in spirit and truth And by living by faith in what we cannot see, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.